Hi, and welcome to Humans Behind the Ads, a podcast of real stories about people who work in the advertising industry and what it's really like behind the scenes. Sponsored by Small Army. I'm your host, Paul Dome, head of content production at Small Army here in Boston. And I'm here with Amy Staley, who's the VP of Operations at Small Army. Amy, welcome. Thank you, Paul. Yes, how are you? I'm well, thank you. (laughs) Good, good. Happy to have you on the show. (laughs) Thank you. Good to be here. Yeah, good. Uh, Tell us a little bit about what you do at Small Army. Well, I wear several hats at Small Army. Um, I am HR. I am accounting. I am oftentimes facilities, um, take care of the recycling uh, I do a lot of things at Small Army. What I don't do is any part of the creative, and I don't do a, any part of the account management. Okay. So um, it's an unusual spot. Yeah. It's a sweet spot for me. Yeah. Yeah. You probably get a, have a good vantage point of, like, how the machine yes. works. Yes. Right? I often feel like I'm not in the mix, and I might see things more clearly. Mm. Uh, not that people want to hear that, but I <coughs> sure. often feel that way. <laughs> yeah, of course. I bet you have great perspective, and at least I know working with you, you do. Thank you. Yeah. Um, but you didn't start out studying advertising, right? No, you didn't start no. even start out studying in Boston, right? No, Why don't we I did go not. all the way back to maybe where your first interest or your career started and... Follow that journey a little bit. Well, my interest, uh, I went to school uh, for marine biology and studied um, at the Institute of Marine and Coastal Studies in Catalina Island and loved every minute of it. Um, That sounds wonderful. It was amazing. I would do it again if I could. Um, But there were not a lot of jobs. So um, when I got out of college, I... My actual first job was assistant manager at a Pier 1 Imports. Yeah. Um, I thought you had mentioned earlier that, that you, you had the choice to choose of a job of counting dead fish. This is true. And you realized. Yes. Yeah. Yes. I think I, our audience wants to know about this job of maybe potentially counting dead fish. This is true. I did interview for a position um, as a graduate, uh, but not with an advanced degree, and I was offered a position, and I was going to live in a, in the middle of the, the coast of California, which wouldn't be all bad, although if you've been to California, the middle of California is not extremely populated, and I would have been in a little one-room shack there, and I would have walked the beach and counted the what washed up on the shore, which would basically be the dead marine life. Yes. Um and you and decided that... maybe that's not what you want to do long term? <laughs> right, exactly. At the ripe old age of 21 or yeah. 22 or whatever I was, I said, I'm not ready for that. Yeah, and so, so you thought maybe Pier 1 Imports maybe is going to have Maybe Pier 1 Imports would be you. more fun right there in L.A. <laughs> yeah. And there's a lot going on. Yeah. And, um, and I did have uh, a lot of fun there. But, I bet. Um, yeah. And so that was – and I went from there to a banking job and – um, from there to owning a mortgage company with my husband and some partners yeah. that we sold. And then from there, I went to uh, Mad Dog Athletics, yeah, which tell, was the yeah, talk about um, that. Mad Dog Athletics, a lot of people don't know, is the parent company of the spinning program. Yeah, They own the trademark uh, for spinning and they own the license for the bikes. So they were launching spinning in, in the late 90s, if you remember. Mm-hmm. And... Um, when I started, I was the third employee, and there were no bikes. We were making them in garages with components that we bought. And you were making bikes. Yes, we were. We did whatever we could. We wanted to really push this fitness program. And I was at the time, 
very fitness. I lived in California, and I ran, and I rode a bike, and I was uh, fitness was important to me. Did, so, you, did you live in Venice Beach? No, I lived in Santa Monica. You lived in Santa Monica. Okay. Yes. So, um, and uh, my husband and I would play beach volleyball every weekend. Like, we were fitness. In fact, that's how I got the job. Someone at the beach was talking about <laughs> They had this friend who was going to try to really make this happen, and did we know anybody who would be interested in it? And I was like, oh, that sounds amazing. Yeah. So, yeah, so I was part of that original group. And at the time, we had one gym in New York um, and two gyms in L.A. that ha- that were trying spinning, testing it for us. And uh, up until then, the idea of group ec- like exercise bike classes was not... Non-existent. Non-existent. People rode life cycles on uh, their, you know, on their, in their gym and watched a TV and didn't talk to anybody. How horrible. Yes. <laughs> you see, you can still see some of that in some places. Yeah, of course. Spinning really launched the group exercise phenomenon. So tell, what did you do for them? Well, I... Maybe you, could, you maybe did everything. We but, did, I did. It yeah. was, um, the two, the other two employees were Johnny G, who is, um, actually Johnny Goldberg, but the Oldberg is silent. And they, um... He was the creator. He was a, a South African man who did race across America but had to train in his garage, and so he created this bike that was similar to a whole, to a regular bike. And then he, friends came over to entertain him while he was riding for five hours on his, and, and that's how it became a class. So he was the creator of the program, and then his partner was the business guy, and then there was me. So everything <laughs> else, everything we did, everything that happened in those first two years was ran through me. I did. We did the training manual. We literally built them until we could afford to have them printed and built. Um, we got Schwinn wound up buying the um, working with. We licensed the patent to them. They wound up making the bikes, mass producing the bikes, and mm-hmm. it was it was an amazing experience. We went by the time I left there, we had fifty full time employees and one hundred and fifty independent contractors around the world. Wow! So it experienced phenomenal growth, and every day was different. It was an amazing journey. It was an amazing ride, pardon my pun. But yeah. um, but there, they, you know, all the, eventually there was like, HR issues. There were uh, accounting that had to be set up. There was all of a sudden facilities, and then we decided to have clothing. So now we needed a warehouse, and we needed vendors. So. Oh my gosh! This is where the hat, multiple hat multiple wearing, hats, uh, yeah. exercise started. Yes. And um, it was great. Every day was different. It was a lot of fun. And uh, it was in Venice Beach. So we had some colorful personalities come through. (laughs) And they added to the whole experience. Um, And then I moved to Boston. Yeah. And what prompted the move east? Uh, Family. Okay. And I didn't actually have family in California. And um, we had children. And we just wanted to get closer to family. Yeah. Yeah. And... um, being the third employee and uh, really knowing every the ins and outs of the whole organization, I worked remotely for eight years for them. Wow. And um, mostly the initial incentive or, or uh, reason for putting me remotely was I was three hours closer to Europe and we were just really launching that market. Hmm. So I had, a, I had an advantage, a time advantage. So I worked out of my house with the markets in, in Europe and Italy and Switzerland and um, the Netherlands, and it was terrific. That sounds like, as you said, an amazing ride. Mm-hmm. And I was, I was able to travel a little bit yeah, with did that, you get to go but to any not. Cool, I went to cool the spot? Netherlands and I went to London, but usually it was a work trip. Yeah. So 
you don't I get didn't this. do a lot of touristy things at the time. And again, I had kids, so I was like there and back. Right. Um, but it was amazing. And then we opened an office in Italy and we opened an office in the Netherlands. And I sort of worked myself out of a job. <laughs> well, should I say congratulations? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. As do it you, was happening, I thought, huh, here I guess, we go. Yeah, here we go. What did I just do? <laughs> do, you, do you do spin? Yes. Okay. I have a spinning bike in my house. It, okay. And it's a very old one. Um, in fact, it's a, sh- it's a Schwinn. Yeah. They, it, Schwinn doesn't make them anymore. Star- I believe Star Trek does. Okay. Um, but I, I think it's a phenomenal way to exercise. And yes, I do, still, I do still take spinning classes. Spin is actually not a verb. Oh, okay. There you go. Yeah, I old. didn't even realize that. <laughs> Apologies to all the spinners, people who yeah, do spin. Yeah, it's funny. I mean, I think I don't it's know the probably, right terminology here. I'm sure over the years that's gotten looser. <laughs> Did you ever think like, I'm going to be famous? No. Like, not celebrity famous, but did you ever think, like, I mean, you're the number three person. I never thought I would be famous. I knew, I've always known, or since since working for them, I've always known it's an interesting story. It's mm. a fun story. And not many people get to do that. Yeah. So I feel pretty special about that. So then you left the fitness world. <laughs> yes. Right? Uh, and you eventually came to Small Army. Yes. Yeah. So can you tell us what was it like? going from fitness into advertising? Because you hadn't worked at an agency no, I'd before, never. right? No, I had never worked at an agency. And I thought it was going to be, and it is, challenging. Um, but I thought it was going to be more challenging. But what I do is pretty universal in mm. in companies probably this size with a single owner. You know, there's there's some things that are very different. Obviously, there's um, creative work and clients that you have to answer to um, from an accounting standpoint. Uh, but it's there are things that are very similar. The HR things are very, very similar. Um, yeah. And the the people issues, the personalities of of people are different. If you if you've ever worked with a bunch of fitness instructors. They are a persnickety group. and They're their own breed as well? They're their own breed. They Mm -hmm. absolutely (laughs) are. Uh, And just like a creative team or an account management team, like everybody has their personality. And I always feel like my job is to help people understand each other and work together to do the best work. Mm. So uh, for the company, sort of in the greater scheme of things, like how are we working together to make this, keep this company moving forward and yeah. successful. And with spinning, it was moving so fast. We were oftentimes just tripping over each other, but still moving. Mm. But, um, you know, at Small Army, it's not moving at that pace. So we can kind of fix things along the way a little yeah. bit. Yeah. So people are people regardless of people which are. industry they are. So would you say, you know, are companies like Spin and Small Army more alike or more different in terms of what your role is? Well, they're they're very similar. I I think my resume is colorful because of the companies I've worked for, Mm -hmm. but what I've done has been very similar. Yeah. What What I've found that I'm good at, that I enjoy, has been very similar. Yeah. Are there any lessons from working in SPIN that you brought to Small Army? Oh, yes. You know, you have to, I learned there that you have to listen. <laughs> you have to, um, 
as outlandish as the story can be, you have to listen because people want to be heard. In <laughs> advertising, you guys, people can be on a shoot and I hear amazing stories. You yeah. know, a huge snowstorm does changes this and you've got everybody there, but you've got to, you know, you just problem solve. You make yeah. it, you, you make it work, but you've got to listen. You've got to hear it and then help them through it. I think that takes a special brain and temperament <laughs> and personality to be someone who's a problem solver, but also can listen. Yeah. Right? Because I don't know if you want to talk a little bit about that. I would imagine if you're too heavy on the problem solving, people right. aren't going to want to work with you because right. they're like, oh, this person is just trying to fix it all. Yeah. But if you just listen and don't do anything, then nothing gets accomplished. Right. You. It's true. Sometimes you do have to sit back and say, what do you want to do about it? A lot of times people don't want me to fix it, but they want to tell the story. And then while they're telling the story, they fix it. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's a great, that's a great thing for me. Right. A really great thing. Yeah. <laughs> sure. Well, and, it's, um, like, and it's okay. A, happy to help. <laughs> well, and, and it is helpful because you're giving your time and time is something that it seems like it's not anything substantive, but it's tremendous value. I mean, you can't get time back. No. So to give someone a half an hour of the day just to listen to them is invaluable. Yes. And it is often just that they need to talk it through. And because of where I am, because of my position, I'm often the best person to talk it through yeah. with. Yeah. So that's part of my job. Yeah. And it's a part I like. Yeah. I well, like. good. Then yeah. you found a good you found a good role. Uh, is there anything from marine biology that you bring back, or you have you so left the world of counting dead fish and or being on Catalina Island? Uh, like how, you know, um, you know, marine biology is a passion. I, I, you know, read it, about it all the time. I'm, a, you know, like a National Geographic kind of person. I'm the Discovery Channel. I love you, learning about it. Do you get it. the magazines and do you collect oh, all of them? I have them all. Of course. It's so ridiculous in this day and age. <laughs> you know, this whole stack of yellow magazines. You can't get rid of them. No, it's so hard. I know. Um, but I, you know, I've, I've. Envision myself at some point having the freedom and the resources to get back into it as a hobby. Yeah. To scuba dive with the Pacific hump whales, you know, it's humpback whales. Like to do, to do that would be, would be amazing. And I'm living slightly vicariously through my son, who is also interested in it and is doing some marine biology work. So yeah, that's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Um, and you li- and you moved to the East Coast, but you also were conscious of moving to somewhere. Near water. Um, near water. That was important to you. Really important to us. Yeah. 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 So. Um, what do you think people uh, don't understand about advertising? Are there, is there something about, you know, the business itself that to an outsider, they, they don't even get the inner workings of it? Because you see so much of it. I think people that haven't experienced advertising do not realize what hard work it is. Mm. Um, I was shocked. There's so much that goes into every little thing. Mm. And you have to be thoughtful and mindful of so many layers. The client, the audience, the the team that's working on it. There's so much to balance. Mm. People work really hard. I think some people think it's just a fun and games. That you just sit around and dream of yeah, funny taglines? Yeah, you just sit around and brainstorm and throw color against the wall and see how it ends up. <laughs> Wouldn't that be great? <laughs> But it's not like that. Yeah. And we, at Small Army, 
I have found that one of the reasons we really focus on creating a, a fun culture is because people are working hard. Yeah. And they need to have a minute, an hour, a day, an evening of fun every now and again because they're working really hard. Yeah, to recharge and be inspired. Yeah. yeah. So it's it's hard work. Yeah, it's demanding. It's demanding. And the people are amazingly talented. Yeah. I, that's the other thing is I sometimes sit back and think these people are so talented. Yeah. All of them. Yeah. Both sides, account management and manage, managing tough clients and the creative team, you know, coming up with designs and pictures and taglines and headlines and con- content. It's it's I, I feel like maybe my creative gene is underdeveloped. <laughs> yeah. So so I'm in all of that. Yeah. Um, so. Yeah. And so you also sit uh, kind of in the uh, HR and hiring, mm-hmm. you know, position. Yes. So for someone who's considering a career in advertising, you probably have good firsthand knowledge of like candidates that come in or skills that are successful. If someone's listening to this podcast thinking, I might want to get into advertising or I know someone who's going to get into it, mm-hmm. what would be helpful, you think, for them to hear from someone like you who probably sees candidates, works with personnel right. all day long? I think getting into it, if you're um, entry level, yeah. is be prepared to work hard. Yeah, okay. Um, that's probably across the board in every industry. but um, And be open to learning because it, there's so much you can come in you could maybe you've gotten your art degree or your graphic design degree or your business degree but that's not like doing it mm-hmm. you have to you have to work hard and you have to pay attention so the exper- be open the experience is as much a teacher as sort of the knowledge you hugely I think here it is yeah. in advertising I think the experience is big yeah so that gets you maybe noticed in your interview Right. Right. How do people thrive? How does someone continue to be successful in this industry? Because from every, you know, my personal experience and talking to other people, it's demanding. It's you know, the hours are crazy. Projects go up and down. It can be stressful. Mm-hmm. But people stay in it and people do it mm-hmm. and make their whole career out of it. So I'm curious from your standpoint, what do you see as common? I think skills? you have to find your place. You you're. You have to like going to work. So you you have, because you're working hard, um, you have to find your place, like going to work, and then work hard and sort of play hard, that work hard, play hard. When the company is doing fun stuff, get involved, be part of it, develop a bond, because these are the people you're going to work hard with. Mm-hmm. So I think I, the people that I've seen really thrive here along with being smart and diligent and wanting to do good work, have also embraced the team, embraced being part of the small army team. Yeah. Yeah, and, that's a good... That's, and that's key. Yeah, because you're just, you're, uh, you're rarely working alone. You cannot be an island. You know, nowadays there's so many topics around kind of healthy work environments, mm-hmm. uh, ensuring that all voices are heard. Is that something you hear kind of in, in the HR, kind of an operational side of things, both at Small Army and kind of in the news? Like, how do you, how do you make sure that's uh, incorporated into kind of the, the agency here? And how do you stay kind of current on that stuff? Well, you have to in yeah. this day and age. Um, and there's a hypersensitivity to it right now. Sure. Um, you have to be 
everybody has to be very, very careful. But I generally think that people, if you're careful and you're, if you're really careful and diligent and you're hiring and you're, most people are good, inherently yeah. good. Yeah. And most people don't want to be sexist or racist or, I generally feel that way. I yeah. know it's out there. I'm not ignorant, but I generally feel you can, there's some, there's good people. Yeah. And you can, you just got to get them. Right. And if something's percolating, you got to, you got to fix it. Right. You got to pay attention. And, and right now you really have to have your ear to the ground. Pay yeah. Attention. Yeah. Well, and there's a, there's a bigger movement of just, uh, in- inclusivity and ensuring all voices are heard. And, and there should be, and there should be, there and, absolutely you know, it's almost be. realizing that why didn't we do this 10 years ago? And well, we should have, and we didn't. And, mm-hmm. You can't really change that. No. But, I mean, across the board, there are but the awareness... conferences, there are workshops, there are lectures. I mean, yes. we had a couple of colleagues go to the 3% conference, right? Yes. And it Which was is for people so, that don't... It was uh, uh, one of our female uh, senior art directors, and it was the executive creative director who said, I'm going to go. And can you tell and people he... what the 3% conference is? Just... Um, it, 3%, and it's actually the number has changed, which is good, but it's yeah. talking about the 3% of female sort of leaders in the advertising industry yeah. on a, on the I believe it's on the creative side. On the creative side. side, yeah. Only 3% um, of the the people in the creative leadership are women. Right. And it's sort of like what? Why? Yes. Why? When you look at your the audience and your demographics and who you're, who <laughs> buys who buys the product, why are we only have 3%? Yeah. So it's a everybody who's gone, we've sent someone every single year and they come back with amazing information. Yeah. And this year um the Sam went. Right? Sam went. Yeah. Sam went, and I and he had an f- amazing time. He said it was really enlightening. Yeah. And I think it's important that we do those types of things. Absolutely. And we will continue. Um, yeah. On many levels, I think we'll look for that type of thing for people to go to. Yeah, that's great. It's that's important. Great. It's really important. It is. It's important for the people who go, and I think it's important for the people to know they work at a company who supports those kind of things. I think so too. Right. Mm-hmm. Um. So. I guess maybe we can sort of end with a, the question that oftentimes we, we talk about at Small Arm. We work with our clients to uncover what we call the moral of their story, which mm-hmm. is sort of their core belief that they believe. It's a shared belief that their audience also believes. And, you know, you've talked about your journey kind of from one thing to the next. Mm-hmm. And I'm curious if you have a moral to your story. Um, I have a moral or a mantra that for me, which is um, life is not a straight line. <laughs> and um, yeah, I believe that. And I'm and sometimes I think, th- thank goodness, life's not a straight line. Because would I be here if yeah, you, you if might, it was? Yeah, right. If you're, you might still be counting dead fish. <laughs> I might be in a shack counting dead fish. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, Amy, I want to thank you for uh, the t- you know, taking thank some you. time and sort of sharing your story and your perspective on things. And I feel like. This is sort of a beginning of many conversations, and a lot of the themes that we touched on are, I'm sure, things that many other agencies think about, wrestle with, and uh, you know, aren't unique just to an agency in Boston or even agencies kind of just in the U.S. Right? I There's agree. A, uh, challenges across the board, and people are trying to do better and help people grow and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah. Thank uh, you, Paul. Yeah, you're welcome. Thanks so much. Humans Behind the Ads is sponsored and produced by Small Army. Check us out on Twitter at Humans Behind Ads. Remember, we're all human. See you next time.